to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I am the Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Keely Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. So this is week three of our limited series focused on spotlighting Chief Revenue Officers at media companies, talking with folks from the Daily Beast, Vox Media, BuzzFeed, and this week, the Washington Post, about how the role of the CRO has changed, but then also like how, what role the CRO is playing right now, given the broader economic downturn and these media companies navigating their businesses through. And so this week, Kaylee, you spoke with Joy Robbins, who is the CRO of the Washington Post. Um, and, you know, last week in our episode with Ryan Polly from Vox Media, he talked about how Joy was someone that he reached out to when the CRO position at Vox Media changed and brought in because um, Joy had experience with that. And so he wanted to get some advice from her on how to manage the expansion of the position. What did you know, Joy have to say about how, like, how her position at the Post has expanded? Yeah. So Joy has been a CRO for about five years now, started at the Washington Post in 2019 as CRO, and then before that was at Quartz. And she said that earlier this year, um, in January, she took on all kind of oversight of the Washington Post subscription business as well. And that was kind of interesting because it sounds very similar to the conversation I had with Mia Libby two episodes ago, where she talked about this year, there's been this big focus on finding the ways in which advertising and subscriptions work together to increase the revenue potentials of both. So the conversation with Joy today was really kind of focused on the same trajectory of how these businesses can come together and really work in each other's favor. And that means finding the people, the readers who aren't currently registered, aren't currently subscribed, and figure out a way to monetize them better by getting them into, you know, newsletters, getting them to follow specific, you know, reporters closely and use that as a way to build habit, get them spending a lot more time on the post website, which in turn increases the ability to serve them ads and collect first-party data. And so those two things have really been a strategy she's had to take on this year. And we've said this a, a couple times in this series now. Yeah, the role of CRO is no longer head of advertising unless a business really truly doesn't have any other revenue streams going for it. But it's looking at all of the revenue streams and figuring out how they kind of really work in each other's favor. And so that's what Joy really kind of starts this conversation by saying is, She's needed to, in the past you know, eight months now, figure out what the holistic picture is of the post revenue versus just sitting on, on client calls, which really was the primary job description you know, even just a couple years ago. I mean, speaking of the big picture for the post revenue, I mean, I think every, well, every media company, but really every company at the moment is trying to figure out their revenue picture, um, not even like looking that far out, just, you know, right now, Q3 and Q4, given the economic downturn. What did Joy say about how the Post is navigating its business through this economic downturn? Because that can affect not only advertising, but then with 
inflation and consumer sentiment, like it can also affect subscriptions if people aren't as willing to be paying for subscriptions or they're trying to kind of like manage their own budgets if they're worried about getting laid off or how inflation may continue and like really trying to figure like what they are willing to spend money on. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, so basically what she had kind of said is that they are noticing some impacts to advertising revenue. Um, Programmatic advertising CPMs are down a bit, not, you know, as much as like the maybe industry average of about 20 cents lower than this time last year. But she did say that there is softening of programmatic. Um, Direct sold advertising is still the posts, you know, lion's share of the business, uh, of the advertising business. So what she said is that there are certain categories that are going through a period of, of softness as well. Um, tech and, uh, you know, finance are two of them, but there are other categories that are really, you know, hanging in there and actually growing. Uh, travel is one that in luxury is another that she had pointed to. Um, the strategy she said is, quite similar to 2020s um, where they needed to figure out how to keep their clients at least coming back to them if their budgets had completely obliterated. So she said that while it's not exactly like 2020, there are a lot of things from the 2020 playbook that are coming back into the mix now. So we talk about that quite a bit. We talk about how this convergence of subscriptions and advertising is, you know, meant to really strengthen the company during this time as well. And yeah, we uh, we talk about quite a, quite a bit of things. Also, you know, events coming back into the mix. Right, yeah, plenty to talk about, especially with people in the Sierra position like uh, Joy at the Washington Post. So I will let you take it away with the conversation. Thanks, Kayla. Awesome. Well, Joy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Kaylee. Of course. All right. So first question, this is what I've been asking um, everyone that's been a part of the CRO series, is really about the job role of a CRO right now. I feel like it's definitely changed over the past couple of years, especially with you know, revenue diversification being top of mind, you know, first party data strategy being top of mind. Um, but you've held the role of CRO at the Washington Post now for a few years since I think March 2019, if I read LinkedIn correctly. Um, and then before that, you were CRO at court. So you've held this this role for almost five years in different capacities. I'm curious from your perspective how the job description has changed over the course of that time. And if you would say, you know, looking back five years ago, if your job feels similar to what it did at that point. So I think that the CRO role over the past five years, as I've experienced it, and as I've had conversations with lots of different CROs in the marketplace, has become a lot more multidisciplinary. While five years ago, a big part of the focus, probably 70% of my focus would have been hitting a revenue number, specifically through primarily media-led activations, um, now it really has to be rooted in the audience and how we're thinking about not just the media business as it relates to the audience, but in my specific role, I'm also responsible for subscriptions. I'm responsible for thinking about our Washington Post Live business uh, and many other ways that we can help brands 
connect with our audiences and help our audiences also connect with our own brand. Um, so it, it has spanned a lot more beyond just the traditional sales role that a CRO may have held five years ago and that I really kind of started my uh, journey in this role as. It really now focuses on everything from how are we thinking about that from a creative perspective? How are we thinking that from a research and analytics perspective? How are we thinking about that from a technological perspective? And how do we really think about bringing all of those groups together in service of both the brand and the audience? Yeah, I think that's very similar to what um, Mia Libby, who's the CRO at The Daily Beast, was saying too, that very user-focused um, experience and, and really having a lot of a lot more internal meetings that connect the dots of what that user journey looks like. So that sounds very spot on with what other people have been saying in this series. But I mean, to your point, like historically, CROs have been seen kind of as like the ad sales chief, right? Like the head of ad sales. Um, probably a large part of your job back in the day was going on sales calls and talking to like high profile clients. Um, I guess like, what would you kind of if you had to break down your responsibilities in a week, you know, what portion is still doing that versus, you know, leading internal talks about subscriptions or live or, um, you know, adjusting to some of those like macro kind of trends that are happening? Like what's your kind of breakdown of, of job description now? That's a great question because I think while some of my favorite opportunities uh, of the week is, are spent with clients, increasingly the role beyond just revenue is also inclusive of thinking about talent on the team, thinking about um, the products that we're delivering in concert with different parts of the organization. So I would say time spent with customers ranges on any given week from some weeks it's 20%, some weeks it's more like 50%. But there is a pretty significant amount of time that we are talking internally about you know, and, and I have the benefit of relying on really phenomenal sales leadership who are with our customers, you know, 50 to 70% of our time. So how we're able to really learn from the conversations that they're having with marketers, how I can take my own conversations with marketers and really then bring it back into our organization to think about how we build, not for what our internal needs are, but ultimately for what it is that our customers uh, are required Additionally, that extra part of now subscriptions falling under my purview is there's a lot of parallels in thinking about what our brands need and what our consumers need. Um, and so how we really think about making, triangulating some of those things, being able to benefit our brands by helping them understand what the actual consumers, what the readers, what the informed public really cares about is uh, probably where I'm spending a lot of time trying to make sure that we are really connecting those dots. When would you say you added subscriptions into your uh, like oversight? So technically, uh, the last three years have really been spent thinking a lot about subscriptions, really hearing what that team was focused on, what the learnings were, what we were seeing from our subscriber base. But just recently in January, uh, all of that revenue came under my purview. Um, and you know, I think in many, many places the the role of advertising and subscriptions are deliberately kept separate. They're very different P&Ls. They are often thought of as 
competing businesses and competing interests. And I believe that that is short-sighted. I believe that we really have the opportunity to create a, a virtuous relationship between all three of those things, um, our brand, a brand, and the consumer. And so thinking about where there are opportunities for those things to work cooperatively and, and really thinking about uh, how the ad sales team and the subscriptions team actually better understand one another. And it's, it's more of like a full funnel revenue strategy than just a binary ads or subs. Yeah. And so I guess like kind of going off of that, that kind of um, virtuous cycle that you mentioned, that relationship between ad and, and subscriptions, I think part of that and what I've been covering is this also focus of being able to monetize the journey of a, an unknown reader to a subscriber by collecting first party data by using that to you know increase the the you know ad uh, revenue portion of it too um, is that kind of how you're looking at the relationship there that's exactly right I mean I think what are a primary a uh, key important strategy for us this year and going into the years ahead are turning unknown readers into known readers, building that relationship with them, understanding them, and then converting them to subscribers. And so that takes the form of everything from thinking about how ads really help in that uh, initial top of funnel, uh, really subsidizing some of that journey, um, all the way through to then how, as we learn more and more about our subscribers or about our registered users, how we both um, convert them to subscribers, but also how we learn more about them along the way that also informs how we guide our advertising partners. Um, it is really, you know, a, a, a renewed way to look at our ads and subscriptions business, but we are making significant investments in better understanding our readers and then making that investment really work very hard for both our ads business and our subscription business. I definitely want to get back to subscriptions um, later in the conversation, but sticking kind of with the advertising side of things. So obviously right now there's a lot of kind of unknowns with the you know economy. There's a little bit of a slowdown, um, you know, looking at even this morning uh, in the New York Times earnings reports, they had a slight decrease in digital ad revenue. Um, a lot of social media platforms had, like Meta and, and Twitter reported decreases in revenue, attributing that to advertising. Right now, I think Q2 remains to be a little uncertain with, you know, how well it performed, not being able to see the numbers, you know, firsthand as a reporter, but only getting it through earnings calls and, and you know, what people are saying. I am curious, you know, have you noticed any decreases in advertising, you know, in the past quarter, in the past month or two? Um, how are, how is, you know, the Washington Post business kind of aligning with what we're starting to see from these earnings reports that show slight decreases in revenue? few percents here and there. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, the Post is certainly not immune to some of those pressures that are so well reported uh, across the industry. However, you know, we've really taken a lot of steps to fortify a lot of the partnerships that we have with brands. So it isn't necessarily exclusively a transactional led business to say, oh, well, when you have a budget, 
you know, well, we can spend it. I mean, there are a lot of brands with whom we have um, multi-year partnerships with and who really rely on us, not just as a media vehicle, but as, um, you know, a, a guide to understanding that readership and uh, really partnering with us on a number of different content areas. Um, the The other side of this is that, you know, advertisers really rely on the Washington Post to be able to reach a fairly mass audience um, and a very influential uh, one at that. So that is not something that we're seeing go away. A lot of the areas that we're covering um, when it comes to the intersection of policy and business or policy and technology remain at the top of uh, a lot of these advertisers' um, uh, sort of strategies. So I, I think... While there are areas and pockets of softness that we're seeing in in industry specific, uh, we are we are fairly strong uh, in 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 the business overall. You mentioned these kind of multi year partnerships. It sounds very much like direct sold, like long standing campaigns, um, more custom leaning. I am curious too. So I reported last week that programmatic spend and, and CPMS were, I think a little bit lower than what we saw last year at this time. So according to operative stacks uh, benchmarking data, they reported that CPMs in the programmatic open marketplace, sorry, this is a lot of a lot of words, but um, that was about 20 cents lower CPMs that they saw on average. I'm curious, um, you know, looking at programmatic specific, and obviously there's a lot of factors kind of leaning on programmatic and especially, you know, with first-party data being so important right now and switching strategy there. But I'm curious, you know, how programmatic advertising is performing relative to the direct sold campaigns that you referenced earlier. Sure. So actually, you know, we've come to rely far less on programmatic open revenue than we did two or three years ago. Um, We are seeing some of the softness in those CPMs. I think we've seen that not only in a result of... uh, uncertainty in the economy and inflation, but we really saw that start to take hold uh, even when the Ukraine war started at the beginning of this year. So we've seen those compounding effects. I think we're a bit more insulated because we do have so much of a higher percentage of our business resting within our direct sold. Um, but we are we that is consistent um, with what we are seeing uh, within the programmatic open marketplace. You can't mention like the specifics of revenue. I am curious if advertising is still the lion's share of uh, revenue overall. Like if you're looking at the total revenue pie, if advertising is the bulk of the business or have subscriptions since grown, you mentioned that subscriptions now falls entirely under your oversight as of January. Um, Is that indicative of a focus in that business or because it's becoming a larger portion? So again, while I won't be able to disclose any specific financial split or information, I can say that they are both uh, extremely important and extremely robust uh, revenue streams for the overall business. And when it comes to is one more of a focus than the other, I think that subscriptions being an incredibly intense focus for us benefits the advertising business significantly. It creates more page views. It creates more known users. It creates more data. Uh, And so I think we are all working in service of creating loyalty at scale through subscriptions and through registered users. Um, And so I think that the, the joining of those two revenue streams underneath my purview really is indicative of 
both remaining a high priority for the company, but also recognizing that there are going to be opportunities where they can work in concert with one another and at times also think about where there needs to be trade-offs in service of one versus the other. Operative stack benchmarking data estimated that it was a, a roughly, on average, 20 cents lower in CPMs versus this time last year. What are you kind of seeing in that range? Is that on par with what you've kind of noted in CPMs? So I think we have seen depreciation in those CPMs. I think perhaps one of the most stark months was uh, at the beginning of the Ukraine war. We've seen CPMs rebound, particularly through July. Um, we've seen some depression, but not to the degree that was reported um, in, in that specific report. So one of the other questions I had about uh, advertising, and you mentioned, I think, that certain industries are focused or, or having different responses to the kind of macroeconomic situation right now. In the Times earnings call this morning, they called out tech, finance, and streaming as being the categories that are uh, feeling a little bit of pressure right now. Um, but they also said that luxury and entertainment were doing really well, specifically in print um, advertising, which is interesting to me. But um, I'm curious, you know, looking at the categories of advertisers that you work with, have you noticed any certain decreases in, in certain categories, increases in others? I know travel's been really, really big yes. for some yes. advertisers right now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when it comes to where we're seeing success, travel is absolutely one of those areas. Um, entertainment, another one of them. Streaming actually has been fairly strong for us. Another category we're seeing as really strong is the pharma and health and wellness category. Uh, and, you know, it's probably well-timed in that we are making significant investments in the consumer health and wellness uh, sector uh, later this year. Um, and so where we are seeing headwinds, I think, align to what the what you heard in the earnings call today. Tech is a bit softer, finance is a bit softer than last year, and auto remains fairly soft as well. Um, and I think that's probably unsurprising to anyone covering uh, that industry. Um, so, so there's definitely pluses and minuses. Um, but I think, you know, where we have really focused our time is not just to say only look at the categories that are performing well at this moment. Uh, the tech and finance and auto industries will return and really being partners to those brands, regardless of whether or not they have budget to spend right now, is really important. It It is essentially back to our playbook from 2020 when all brands paused spending. And so how do you continue to think about bringing value to across the marketplace rather than just specifically focused on sectors? Got it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that 2020 playbook because that's another question that we're really – asking about in this series is how similar or different 2020 and 2022 kind of end up being. Um, I think to your point, there were there was a very consistent pause in 2020 uh, across all categories. Now it's very dependent on the industry. Um, you mentioned auto. Anyone trying to buy a car right now would know that the supply chain is just like completely messing that one up. So there's definitely like highs and lows right now. But I'm curious, you know, how much of that 2020 playbook can you reprise for today? And how much of it is maybe broader lessons learned versus like actual, you know, follow the exact same steps as 2020? 
I think 2020 was a moment for all of us where we had to relearn how to do our jobs in this ongoing environment of uncertainty, but also uh, panic. Um, you know, people were concerned not only about their businesses, but about their personal health and well-being and that of their families. So I wouldn't go as far as to say we are back in 2020, but I think that we have all become really, really good at being both pragmatic as well as, um, you know, riding out and add uh, the, the agility required uh, to understand that things are changing on a fairly consistent basis. I think the things that we now are able to reprise out of our, I guess if you'd call it the 2020 playbook, is, again, understanding how we are delivering value uh, to the marketplace, regardless of industry and as partners, rather than looking at being anything near transactional. And understanding that the pace of business is frenetic. So 2020, I think, pretty well reported in that second half of the year, budgets and uh, conditions were changing on a weekly basis. So it wasn't crazy to have two-day turnarounds for really significant campaigns that either happened or didn't. Um, I do that calmed down in 2021. It felt as though people were still in some cases planning very, very short term, but there was more longer term planning going on. Um, we are seeing uh, a return to some of those really pressed time uh, horizons. And I believe uh, that we'll see more of that, particularly as we get into the fourth quarter, um, depending on you know how the, the economy fares. But I think we, we are better prepared to handle the volatility of business uh, than I think any of us had ever experienced back in 2020. I'm curious about that kind of compressed timeline that you mentioned, like a return of that um, in turnaround times for campaigns. What would you say is a you know a factor leading into the the lead times that are given to you? Is it like we got a budget, so we have to spend it right away, or else we're going to lose it? Or is it more like something changes in the supply chain, something changes, you know, in the context of world news, and we kind of have to respond fast to that. Like, I'm curious what you're seeing as being the factors for changing a long-term campaign versus a short one. It's a bit of both. I think there is some elements of the use it or lose it. Um, but I and I think that people are being uh, marketers are you know being responsible and in some cases conservative with spend. And as conditions either improve or there are uh, the ability to release those budgets, it becomes a how do we get into market quickly? And some of it does come down to some of the factors that are happening in the wider news and uh, societal landscape. Um, but I, I think the former is more of what we're seeing in terms of something will uh budget will get released and need to get into market fairly quickly. And so being able to activate against that is is important. And in that case, um, are you seeing any types of maybe campaign focuses like uh, more direct or like uh, transaction focused campaigns? Is it more bottom of the funnel focusing that you're kind of seeing in that scenario? Or is it still, you know, higher level brand campaigns that are doing this? We are seeing higher level brand campaigns, but I will share that, you know, we are increasingly focused on not just how a brand campaign performs 
uh, and being able to report against that, but actually really honing our own ability to measure success. Uh, and as brands become obviously held to more higher accountability to being able to demonstrate that even those brand dollars are ultimately driving mid funnel at the very least, um, you know, really thinking through ways to be able to demonstrate measurement. So it isn't uh, exclusively a bottom of funnel last minute campaign. We are still seeing that happen quite at, at, at the branding and, and even mid um, as well. Interesting. And is that kind of focus on um, proving a, a campaign's like, effectiveness, I guess. Is that a newer kind of ask from clients because of what's going on um, in the economy right now? Or has that been a trend that you've seen for quite some time? We're anticipating it. Whether a brand is outright asking for it or whether they haven't yet, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to ensure that we are preparing our marketing partners to really be able to demonstrate efficacy, having responsibility on our own side uh, at the Washington Post for marketing, for subscriptions, you know, being able to really demonstrate efficacy um, of those dollars is going to be really important, especially uh, in an economic downturn. So we want to be able to help our brand partners continue to be able to press on brand because we know that that's important. They know that's important. That was such an incredibly important insight coming out of, um, you know, the 2008 uh, recession. So how do we then make sure that we are, um, if we can see this coming, how are we going to prepare ourselves to really be able to address it and proactively deliver that value of insight and and measurement? Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm also curious about maybe advertising strategy on uh, other platforms like social. Um, I know the Washington Post is doing a really fantastic job growing its Instagram and TikTok platforms right now. Are you seeing advertisers interested in, in meeting you guys on the on those platforms as well? Absolutely. And I think it's a really, really exciting opportunity for us to be able to experiment, not just uh, in the context of growing our own audience that we refer to as next gen, but also helping guide advertisers when they want to start thinking about that strategy as well. Um, Particularly those brands who are more traditional, who don't necessarily think of themselves as a TikTok or Instagram first type of brand. How do we are actually building capabilities within our creative group to help them understand how to best use uh, TikTok, how to best address an Instagram audience based on what we're learning from our editorial partners. And then thinking about how we can create integrated experiences. So that's been a really, really kind of fun and area that I believe will still receive experimental dollars. Um, I think reading, um, reaching those next-gen audiences um, where they are and meeting them uh, where they're consuming is, is increasingly an important focus and one that we are really bullish and proactive on for our own brand. Got it. Have you already started working with clients in that capacity or is it still kind of in that building and testing phase? Yes, we've worked with several. Um, one of them uh, being Marriott that we we helped build a, a program for them within our TikTok channel last uh, last fall uh, and in the beginning of this year. And so I think that being able to, you know, experiment a bit more with everything from vertical video to those um, types of platforms is something that we are uh, increasingly seeing interest in. And then I also wanted to ask about, um, you know, as we approach like midterm elections and, you know, the political cycle is ramping up a little bit again, um, how is political advertising maybe assisting with some of the effects that are being taken on 
the advertising industry as a whole? Like, are you seeing that as kind of a, a category that's helping with any potential, um, you know, downturn in ad revenue or, you know, softening of, of budgets in other categories? Like, has political advertising been at all something that's been helping? Well, political advertising has been an important part of our business whenever these election cycles come up. Um, I think what we're seeing, particularly given our strength in markets around the country, not obviously just here in, in, in D.C., you know, as there are key races that are happening across the country, uh, really thinking about how uh, we can deliver those uh, influential and informed uh, uh, voters um, and really giving some of these campaigns, uh, the ability to have insight and, and ultimately access into, into those audiences. Um, I think that it isn't necessarily something that we look at as, oh, it's going to boost, uh, a, a, a difficult marketplace because it, it, it tends to be a pretty significant, um, opportunity for us, uh, in the first place. And, and, but, um, I do think that our ability to really diversify the way that we're working with some of these campaigns, um, particularly as we better understand our audiences, as we offer opportunities across platforms, is something that we will see as a growing revenue opportunity in, the, in this year and the years to come. I also wanted to ask about uh, your your selling teams, your you know salespeople, um, how their jobs might have changed at all to kind of accommodate for what's happening in the industry, to accommodate for those really short lead times in some cases. Um, you know, I think you know, based on the fact that your job has changed so significantly in the past five years, I'm curious if there's been anything that's changed on their end as well, whether there's, you know, different kind of incentives that are being uh, uh, driven towards them or um, if they've needed to be restructured at all to kind of, you know, address some of these changes. Um, how have how have those teams been impacted by what's been going on broadly? Sure. I mean, I think that the profile of a sales executive has really changed. What it, just as my own role has become more dis- multidisciplinary, I think that just asking for the order is no longer sufficient. I think they have really had to become better listeners. They have got to understand strategy. They need to be incredibly interested in their clients' business, not just in their media needs, because the two are so inextricably connected in ways they never have been before. Um, and they also need to really work collaboratively with all of the non-sales teams as well. So as much as they are customer-facing, the ability and the necessity for them to work as partners with everyone from media planning to their creative partners, uh, it is truly a partner-led sell uh, more than ever before. And I think that's really exciting but it also really requires people to uh, have that curiosity of wanting to both understand their customers as well as their internal partners. So I think being good listeners, um, being intrinsically curious is more important than ever before to a sales executive's success. And I think a lot of good sales executives also understand that in, in some years – Success could be luck <laughs> or, uh, you know, what might happen with your list is, 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 is somewhat uh, out of your hands. However, deploying some of those foundational principles of being a useful, being a partner, being a value add 
um, is more important at points than just being somebody that uh, is is going into clients and and asking for the order. Absolutely. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense that with your job becoming more internally focused, that they also have to be working collaboratively across the business as well. And especially with what you said regarding the link between advertising and subscriptions too. Um, I'm curious like what that what that does to structure. Like are there more, you know, cross team meetings that happen at the post now? Are you having the heads of these departments, you know, meet on a more regular basis than maybe before? It's evolving. I mean, it certainly since uh, my uh, officially taking over subs- uh, subscriptions under my purview in January, it has created the conditions where there's more curiosity between teams now. Tell me, you know, a subscriptions person may say, help me understand what advertisers are looking for. And our advertising team is uh, really curious on how subscriptions may be part of something, a suite of offerings that we are able to bring value to our customers uh, with. And so I think that level of transparency and uh, partnership across the organization will just make us stronger and more differentiated um, than uh, across the marketplace. And so digging back into subscriptions too, because you mentioned a lot about that known user, that person that is not yet a subscriber, but still able to be monetized pretty efficiently. I'm curious about how your strategy is now focusing on that kind of middle ground person, that like middle of the funnel person. Um, What's the primary, I guess, monetization strategy for that individual? And is the goal ultimately converting them to a subscriber, like a paid subscriber, or is it to just really increase their, you know, usage of the site in order to increase their, I guess, advertising ARPU Mm. um, per user? I mean, ultimately, converting to subscription is a key uh, metric that we're focused on. We want, but conversion to subscriber ultimately comes with uh, loyalty, habit forming, really thinking about how to deliver value for that consumer or for that reader. So along the way, really being able to pick up on some of those signals, being able to increase that frequency of the reader coming back um, and identifying the things and the signals that will ultimately lead them to becoming a subscriber has uh, beneficial implications for the advertising business as well. Got it. So what are the what are some of the things that you're doing to help get them more embedded in the Washington Post to help them um, you know increase their page views? I know some publishers have uh, you know leaned into newsletters, have leaned into you know podcast even listeners like getting them to the site um, or you know beyond that maybe. Uh, you know, registration walls, personalization efforts. You know, what are some of the strategies there? So all of those. Um, you know, I think habit-forming products and really thinking about increasing engagement. Uh, one thing you didn't mention, but I think is really important, is um, you know, people are uh, really af- find affinity with personalities. So how do we help them find uh, the right person or the personality? How do we develop our own personality bench to really help us drive uh, interest, habits, loyalty? Um, so everything from, as you say, newsletters to podcasts to uh, things like more personalized uh, recirculation. You know, those are all factors that we're constantly thinking about leveraging reg walls in some areas, particularly where we're thinking about new content areas uh, that we're investing in pretty heavily that hadn't traditionally been core pillars of the Washington Post, inclusive of wellness, inclusive of 
uh, climate and sustainability, inclusive of uh, lifestyle. Um, those are all areas that, you know, we believe that we have an incredible opportunity to deliver value for readers, but obviously also need to substantiate our own brand in their minds as a go-to for some of those areas. Um, and so that journey creates the conditions under which we are both able to um, start to con- uh, develop leads for the conversion funnel, but also deliver value um, and opportunity for brands. Does that approach change the paywall strategy at all? Like some, um, I guess, adding in registration walls, right? That could change where a paywall would fall. That could change like which content is considered exclusive to just subscribers. Um, have you modified paywall at all to try and focus on habit forming, really? Sure. I mean, I think that that's a big part of what we're focused on now. Um, and I think really exciting for the future of uh, the business overall, which is to really think about how, you know, to... Um, grow loyalty and to not be binary. Either you're a subscriber or you're not. Instead, think of the journey of the relationship and building that relationship with the post, not across just different content areas, but across audiences. How are we, you know, a big focus, uh, as we've talked about, has been next gen. So how do we also start to build that relationship with that audience? So it it all comes down to this journey that we are on together to think about how to not just say we're limiting your access, but we also recognize the importance of um, taking a top of funnel audience and uh, building a relationship with them through access and through habit. Got it. Got it. And so obviously we're just, you know, midway-ish through the year now of you having kind of oversight of subscriptions in, in its entirety. But I'm curious, you know, have these strategies of creating known users, of um, trying to connect advertising with subscriptions, has that led to an increase in subscriptions, um, you know, so far this year? Are you seeing the positive kind of conversion, you know, metrics in relation to how you've been trying to combine these areas of the business? Sure. So I'll have to caveat there that, again, we don't like talk about numbers publicly. Um, But what I will be able to say is, you know, the amount of known users that we are working, uh, that we are really um, uh, serving at this point, we're seeing a lot of growth in um, which is pretty exciting. And again, really thinking about the business through the lens of the and instead of the or is ultimately helping to bolster the the entirety of the revenue business. Awesome. And so I know we talked about um, the similarities between 2020 and 2022 and kind of the strategy for being prepared for this, you know, economic downturn. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the back half of this year and also the beginning of 2023. I feel like a lot of people are predicting that 2023 will be kind of the the turning point, maybe the lowest period in what could be a recession, not officially one yet. But I am curious, you know, what your thoughts are about the back half of the year, especially, you know, the fourth quarter and how you're strategizing to, to get through that time. Sure. I mean, you know, I am cautiously optimistic um, for fourth quarter. I do believe that, you know, we have an audience that many advertisers want to reach, not just um, in service of uh, transaction, but in service of influence. Um, so I think that that has remained strong. I think it's it's less about preparing for low points or anticipating um, 
any decreases, but more about how are we preparing our business to really address the challenges that marketers will face. And if we stay the course to continue delivering value, to continue focusing on partnerships, to deliver insights about these um, consumers, you know, no matter what happens in the very short term, we saw through the playbook in 2020, staying the course to deliver value ultimately will result in whatever rebound comes uh, to fruition, the business being that much stronger. So for some other businesses that we haven't really touched on, you mentioned live, uh, you know, events kind of coming back into the mix. I'm curious also about, you know, things like commerce or affiliate, if that's being added in, um, licensing even too. I'm curious how these other businesses are, especially live, because events were not able to happen in person in 2020, how these are helping you know, get through that period as well and and really look at, you know, diversification and, and growth in a way that 2020 didn't have. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, interestingly, our live business grew over the pandemic. We pivoted to doing what we call live programming, virtual events, however you want to think about it. It almost in at the speed of like broadcast in that we were doing three or four programs a day. Um, and so we actually saw revenue from our live business increase pretty substantially. Now that we are going back to a kind of hybrid model, um, the demand for some of that virtual slash live programming remains. Uh, so foundationally, that's strong. And now we are returning not just with um, you know, the traditional business that the Washington Post Live business had delivered, which was 90-minute programs, but actually in half and full-day summits this year, our live business is incredibly strong. Uh, and we've seen um, the the value that we're able to deliver, not just in the day of, a, of an event, but actually really transcending that uh, through different media activations, um, be, be really important to brands. And so we see that as a bright spot this year for sure, and, and going into to 2023. Um, I think when you asked about commerce and affiliate, I think we've always really wanted to think about how we could responsibly enter something like that. And that's something that we certainly uh, will not rule out in the future. Um, and so, you know, like we've all said, uh, and any CRO, I think, would tell you, going back to that first question of, Five years ago, we all really focused very, very heavily on the media business. The diversification of those revenue streams um, remain ever more important in 2022 and and is really only become louder probably since 2019 uh, in terms of how important it is to the business. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joy, for joining us on the podcast. This was really, really interesting. I appreciate you taking the time. Haley, thank you so much for having me. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode.